0: Section 4 of On the Witness Stand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in July 2021. On the Witness Stand Essays on Psychology and Crime by Hugo Munsterberg. Section 4 The Memory of the Witness. Part 2. A few years ago, a painful scene occurred in Berlin, in the university seminary of Professor von List, the famous criminologist. The professor had spoken about a book. One of the older students suddenly shouts, I wanted to throw light on the matter from the standpoint of Christian morality. Another student throws in, I cannot stand that. The first starts up, exclaiming, You have insulted me. The second clenches his fist and cries, If you say another word! The first draws a revolver. The second rushes madly upon him. The professor steps between them and, as he grasps the man's arm, the revolver goes off. General Uproar In that moment Professor List secures order, and asks a part of the students to write an exact account of all that has happened. The whole had been a comedy carefully planned and rehearsed by the three actors, for the purpose of studying the exactitude of observation and recollection. Those who did not write the report at once were, part of them, asked to write it the next day or a week later, and others had to dispose their observations under cross-examination. The whole objective performance was cut up into fourteen little parts, which referred partly to actions, partly to words. As mistakes there were counted the omissions, the wrong additions, and the alterations. The smallest number of mistakes gave 26% of erroneous statements, the largest was 80%. The reports with reference to the second half of the performance, which was more strongly emotional, gave an average of 15%, more mistakes than those of the first half words were put into the mouths of men who had been silent spectators during the whole short episode actions were attributed to the chief participants of which not the slightest trace existed and essential parts of the tragic comedy were completely eliminated from the memory of a number of witnesses this dramatic psychological experiment of 6 years ago opened up a long series of similar tests in a variety of places with a steady effort to improve the conditions the most essential condition remained of course always the complete naivete of the witnesses as the slightest suspicion on their part would destroy the value of the experiment it seems desirable even that the writing of the protocol should still be done in a state of belief there was for instance two years ago in Göttingen a meeting of a scientific association made up of jurists psychologists and physicians all therefore men well trained in careful observation somewhere in the same street there was that evening a public festivity of the carnival suddenly in the midst of the scholarly meeting the doors open a clown in highly colored costume rushes in in mad excitement and a negro with revolver in hand follows him in the middle of the hall first the one then the other shouts wild phrases then the one falls to the ground the other jumps on him then a shot and suddenly both are out of the room the whole affair took less than twenty seconds all were completely taken by surprise and no one with the exception of the president had the slightest idea that every word and action had been rehearsed beforehand or that photographs had been taken of the scene it seemed most natural that the president should beg the members to write down individually an exact report inasmuch as he felt sure that the matter would come before the courts of the forty reports handed in there was only one whose omissions were calculated as amounting to less than twenty per cent of the characteristic acts fourteen had twenty to forty per cent of the facts omitted 12 omitted 40 to 50%, and 13 still more than 50%. But besides the omissions there were only 6 among the 40 which did not contain positively wrong statements. In 24 papers up to 10% of the statements were free inventions, and in 10 answers, that is, in one fourth of the papers, more than 10% of the statements were absolutely false in spite of the fact that they all came from scientifically trained observers only four persons for instance among forty noticed that the negro had nothing on his head the others gave him a derby or a high hat and so on in addition to this a red suit a brown one a striped one a coffee-colored jacket shirt-sleeves and similar costumes were invented for him he wore in reality white trousers and a black jacket with a large red necktie. The scientific commission which reported the details of the inquiry came to the general statement that the majority of the observers omitted or falsified about half of the processes which occurred completely in their field of vision. As was to be expected, the judgment as to the time duration of the act varied between a few seconds and several minutes it is not necessary to tell more of these dramatic experiments which have recently become the fashion and almost a sport and which will still have to be continued with a great variety of conditions if the psychological laws involved are really to be cleared up there are many points for instance in which the results seem still contradictory In some cases it was shown that the mistakes made after a week were hardly more frequent than those made after a day. Other experiments seemed to indicate that the number of mistakes steadily increases with the length of time which has elapsed. Again some experiments suggest that the memory of the two sexes is not essentially different, while the majority of the tests seems to speak for very considerable difference experiments with school children especially seem to show that the girls have a better memory than the boys as far as omissions are concerned they forget less but they have a worse memory than the boys as far as correctness is concerned they unintentionally falsify more we may consider here still another point which is more directly connected with our purpose a well-known psychologist showed three pictures rich in detail but well adapted to the interest of children to a large number of boys and girls they looked at each picture for fifteen seconds and then wrote a full report of everything they could remember after that they were asked to underline those parts of their reports of which they felt so absolutely certain that they would be ready to take an oath before court on the underlined words the young people put forth their best efforts and yet the results showed that there were almost as many mistakes in the underlying sentences as in the rest this experiment has been often repeated and the results make clear that this happens in a smaller and yet still surprising degree in the case of adults also the grown-up students of my laboratory commit this kind of perjury all the time subtler experiments which were carried on in my laboratory for a long time showed that this subjective feeling of certainty cannot only obtain in different degrees, but has, with different individuals, quite different mental structure and meaning. We found that there were, above all, two distinct classes. For one of those types certainty in the recollection of an experience would rest very largely upon the vividness of the image. For the other type it would depend upon the congruity of an image with other previously accepted images, that is, on the absence of conflicts, when the experience judged about is imagined as part of a wide setting of past experiences. But the most surprising result of those studies was, perhaps, that the feeling of certainty stands in no definite relation to the attention with which the objects are observed if we turn our attention with strongest effort to certain parts of a complex impression we may yet feel in our recollection more certain about those parts of which we hardly took notice than about those to which we devoted our attention the correlations between attention recollection and feeling of certainty become the more complex the more we carefully study them not only the self-made psychology of the average juryman but also the scanty psychological statements which jury and attorney find in the large compendiums on evidence fall to pieces if a careful examination approaches the mental facts the sources of error begin of course before the recollection sets in the observation itself may be defective and illusory wrong associations may make it imperfect judgments may misinterpret the experience and suggestive influences may falsify the data of the senses every one knows the almost unlimited individual differences in the power of correct observation and judgment every one knows that there are persons who under favourable conditions see what they are expected to see the prestidigitators the fakirs the spiritualists could not play their tricks if they could not rely on associations and suggestions and it would not be so difficult to read proofs if we did not usually see the letters which we expect but we can abstract here from the distortions which enter into the perception itself we have discussed them before the mistakes of recollection alone are now the object of our inquiry and we may throw light on them from still another side many of us remember minutes in which we pass through an experience with a distinct and almost uncanny feeling of having passed through it once before the words which we hear the actions which we see we remember exactly that we experienced them a long time ago the case is rare with men but with women extremely frequent and there are few women who do not know the state an idea is there distinctly coupled with the feeling of remembrance and recognition and yet it is only an associated sensation resulting from fatigue or excitement and without the slightest objective basis in the past the psychologist feels no difficulty in explaining it but it ought to stand as a great warning signal before the minds of those who believe that the feeling of certainty in recollection secures objective truth there is no new principle involved of course when the ideas which stream into consciousness spring from one's own imagination instead of being produced by the outer impressions of our surroundings any imaginative thought may slip into our consciousness and may carry with it in the same way that curious feeling that it is merely the repetition of something we have experienced before a striking illustration is well known to those who have ever taken the trouble to approach the depressing literature of modern mysticism there we find an abundance of cases reported which seem to prove that either prophetic fortune-tellers or inspired dreams have anticipated the real future of a man's life with the subtlest details and with the most uncanny foresight but as soon as we examine these wonderful stories we find that the coincidences are surprising only in those cases in which the dreams and the prophecies have been written down after the realization. Whenever the visions were given to the protocol beforehand, the percentage of true realizations remains completely within the narrow limits of chance, coincidence, and natural probability. In other words, there cannot be any doubt that the reports of such prophecies, which are communicated after having been realized, are falsified that does not reflect in the least on the subjective veracity. Our satisfied client of the clever fortune-teller would feel ready to take oath to his illusions of memory, but illusions they remain. He also, in most cases, feels sure that he told the dream to the whole family the next morning, exactly as it happened. Only when it is possible to call the members of the family to a scientific witness-stand does it become evident that the essentials of the dream varied in all directions from the real later occurrence. The real present occurrence completely transforms the reminiscences of the past prophecy, and every happening is aperceived with the illusory overtone of having been foreseen. End of section four.